0: My name is Brent Fangor, I am a Phandalite prince, and I am about to die. Welcome to Phandalites, the weekly podcast where myself and Jenna read and review... Every book in the Animorphs series by K. A. Applegate, one at a time. Um, This week we're doing book one of the Andalite Chronicles, titled "Elfangor's Journey," when it was released on its own, because the Andalite Chronicles were originally released as three smaller books and then as one big volume. Uh, But
1: we'll we'll be reading them individually as three segments.
0: Yes, yeah. This episode's just part one, Um, and I know that at the end of last week's episode we said that we'd be doing the Rachel Squid one, but there was enough fan demand on Twitter that we just decided to skip this one ahead of the queue to wherever we could put it next.
1: Yeah, we bow to your fandomonium.
0: <laughs> you know, it's it's all about you people. <laughs> um, so this book opens with Elfangor Sireniel Shamtal as a lowly Ariths. Uh, the dome ship he's serving on encounters a Skritnoff lion saucer in the Rings of Saturn, and fires on and boards them because Andalites are space cops and they have a ticket quota, I guess? Anyway, there are two human abductees on board named Lauren and Chapman, yes, that Chapman, who the Andalites take back to their dome ship, promising to wipe their memories and return them home. The shamed war prince Aloran Semitur Caras, who you may remember from the Hork-Bajir Chronicles, and also from being Visser Three, dis- is dispatched in his sweet custom hot rod fighter ship to return the humans to Earth, along with the two Arists. Alfingor and Arbron, uh, sir, last name not appearing in this book. <laughs> Along the way, Arbron manages to decode the dump they took to the Skritna's computer system because they're space cops, and of course they made a full disc copy of any electronics they encountered on their routine space traffic stop. Arbron discovers that the Skritna ship they didn't manage to disable before it got away is carrying a legendarily powerful weapon called the Time Matrix. Aloran makes the call to delay the delivery of the humans and give chase to the Skritna ship, which was headed to the Taxon homeworld. The three Andalites manage to take over a taxon transport, morph taxons, and land on the taxon homeworld, but are separated during a feeding frenzy. Elfinger is caught by a subvisor that I assume is Esplan 9466 because he doesn't join in the cannibalistic frenzy, which you know Esplan is all about. <laughs> Book one ends with Chapman landing the Andalite ship on the taxon homeworld and offering the Yerks Earth.
1: I'm so glad you described the Andalites as space cops in this in your intro because as i was as i was reading aloran and our two uh rookies doing this this routine traffic stop and then getting sidetracked by this super important mission i was thinking about this thing i read about the plot of silence of the lambs how at the very end this is gonna be so fucking off topic i'm sorry
0: (laughs) no i fucking love it i love it (laughs) keep going get as far off topic as you can
1: How at the the climactic part of Silence of the Lambs, Clarice goes on this sort of side mission and gets trapped and caught alone. But she goes on that side mission because it's not supposed to be an actual lead. It's just like a small thing that she can double check on that isn't supposed to be anything. And so that's why it works in the plot that she stumbles upon the actual killer. Because otherwise it would make no sense that the FBI sends her just like, she's a rookie, out to track down a serial killer. So I think about that a lot as a plot device. And I thought about it when I was reading this book, the fact that it's a fucking disgraced ex-prince. I guess he's still a prince, but ex- disgraced Prince Elren and two two rookie cops get this super sudden secret but incredibly important mission that they absolutely do not tell anybody else about. They just go after it on their own.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is kind of like Uh, is the straight-laced, by-the-book rookie, and Arbron is the loose cannon who plays by his own rules, but damn it, he gets results. And um, (laughs) Aloran is the uh, cop who's getting too old for this shit and is two days from retirement.
1: He's the disgraced cop who's two days... who's looking for a comeback.
0: Okay, yes, yes.
1: Like, he just wants redemption, and he'll... Do this super important vital mission that he absolutely needs backup with, uh, with not very good backup.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I really started thinking of them as cops very early on in the uh, space cops early on in the book. Um, because even though they were retroactively justified by the abductions that the Skritna had apparently undertaken... They didn't seem to really have any reason to just open fire on the ship other than that it was there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they just seem to not like or trust the Skritna, so they're like, we're gonna pull them over and search their car.
0: Right, but not just like pull them over and search their car, like shoot out their tires and then search their car and then just leave them there to fix it themselves.
1: The fact that they literally just left them, like they, the Andalites are literally like, they'll figure it out. We blew out their engine, but they'll figure it out. Like, wow.
0: It is pretty wild.
1: So that's very good. The other thing I really liked about your introduction is that you made sure to call out that the Chapman in this book is the Chapman, principal Chapman that we're used to.
0: Yeah, I I had to double check on Cyropedia because his characterization here, and obviously this is him as a teenager. But his characterization in this book is extremely different from how we've seen yeah. him in the main series so far. So I, I had to double check on Cerepedia and it says indeed that Principal Chapman is Hendrik Chapman.
1: I'm glad you checked that because I was just assuming that this was like Chapman's dad or uncle or something. Uh, because the characterization is so ridiculously off point.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's basically David in this book, right?
1: he yeah he he's like a capitalist driven david i don't think david was quite so profit margin obsessed
0: yeah that's fair that's fair he's an extremely mercenary like ferengi almost in his characterization in this book
1: a reference that i understand now because i'm watching deep space nine
0: (laughs) excellent one of the best star treks (laughs)
1: Yeah, but he is very much like, I couldn't help but picture like the stereotypical 80s businessman, like, hey, baby, I'll make you a profit.
0: <laughs> My only regret is having bonitus.
1: <laughs> exactly, Brent. Yes.
0: Well, it's funny, because reading him in this as a teenager sort of made me realize that I've been picturing Principal Chapman in the regular, like series as being played by the same actor who plays the principal on Buffy and Quark on Deep Space Nine.
1: (laughs) That's such a fucking perfect crossover.
0: Right, I just hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it. That was just how I always pictured him when he was brought up. And I just realized, oh, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, Armin Shimmerman.
0: I, we know from having read the main series, that there's definitely some elemist time travel bullshit that happens to unwrite the events of this book, or these books. Right. And I have to assume that something there changed a pivotal moment in Hendrik Chapman's history that caused him to be this way. Because in the main series, he's almost sympathetic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say very sympathetic because he's kind of a willing controller, but not really.
0: It's exclusively to protect his daughter for as long as he
1: can. Right. And that's a hard, that's a hard image to combine with the Chapman we get in this book, who's a real fucking D-bag.
0: Yeah, the Chapman in this book who's like, hey, literally everyone on Earth, would you like to enslave them and make me king?
1: My god, yeah, that was, I, oh, I was waiting this entire book to see how Chapman sort of loops in. Because he, there's no way... I mean, Chapman almost has to be a controller by the end of this book. This is a Chapman controller origin story, I think. A- and so the the journey there, I what I'm hoping mm-hmm. is that we see that the yerk that Chapman gets saddled with is actually like really kind and level-headed. And that's why the Chapman we know in the main series is the way he is. Like the Chapman we know in the main series is more the yerk than it is Chapman. Interesting. That's what I would like. That I would doubt.
0: be really good. I See, I was having, I was thinking a bleaker take on it, where if he's a controller by the end of this book, but then history is rewritten. Hmm. And then he still ends up a controller that it's just, that's, that's how he was always going to, that's how things were always going to shake out for Chapman. No matter what, he ends up with a yerk in his head.
1: Hmm. I mean, that's very possible. I I, I'll say I'm I'm on the hook. I'm really excited to read the next two books to see how Chapman's story shakes out.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I can't wait for the the birth of Alan Fangor.
1: Fuck. God damn it, Brent. I I look forward to that too, because it comes out of such a weird left field in the book, in the main book series. I feel like we were supposed to read the Andalite Chronicles first. And then that would anticipate that happening in the books a little bit more, because as is, it is a real band-aid pull.
0: Everybody on Twitter claims that we should have read the End of like, Chronicles first, and our opinion on uh, that Tobias book would be extremely different if yeah. we had. I'm not sure that there is any order of reading that makes Alan Fangor not just a ridiculous sounding alias. <laughs>
1: Fucking alan. it just alan fangor sounds like uh, a local horror movie tv show host Shit. like that's it's like the off-brand elvira
0: alan fangor sounds like the pen name of like a dean Koontz wannabe
1: <laughs> i like this game a lot alan fangor <laughs>
0: Like like you download a free ebook and then you end up subscribed to their author mailing list and they're just thirsty as fuck. Alan Fangor is real thirsty about his his next short story that you should definitely get from him. Enter here, yeah. there's a hundred dollar Amazon gift card giveaway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Alan Fangor really wants you to read the excerpt of his next book. <laughs> oh my god, Alan Fangor. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping reading these books will justify that being a plot twist, even if nothing will satisfy me about the name Alan. Alan Fangor. You know, I guess
0: I shouldn't be so upset about it because I religiously follow name of the year every year. (laughs) And Alan Fangor (laughs) is like the sort of name that would get bounced in one of the early brackets.
1: Yeah, compared to the the finalists of Name of the Year, yeah. Alan Fanger ain't nothing.
0: Yeah, compared to Kobe Buffalo Meat, or, or this year, pretty sure, calling it Most High Thank God.
1: God, that's a great name.
0: It is. I'm real glad that Miracle Crimes didn't have, like, a mugshot in the article they linked about her, because I'm still pretty sure that my boy Lancelot Supersad Jr. lost to Amanda Miranda Panda <laughs> because she had an attractive <laughs> mugshot.
1: I'm trying so hard not to Google this right now because I don't want to disrupt the flow of, Shit, okay. of this podcast. Yeah, I, we have to keep we have to keep moving.
0: Oh, oh my god. god! So the Andalites seem to emphasize tail fighting an awful lot for a culture with like lasers, <laughs> and not just tail fighting, but like tail fighting other Andalites. The whole like beginning of this book is this sort of like Gurney and Paul sword fighting training series sequence mm. from dune except with mm. tail blades and it's ex- explicitly about like fighting other andalites with tail blades but like at this point there are no andalite controllers
1: no that's a great point
0: okay so i have honestly a lot to say about this because in my mind it ties <laughs> in thematically with the fact that andalites consider computers to be for fucking nerds who uh okay. the military can look down on and yes. the fact that they have a one child
1: policy yeah, which is weird. We'll talk more about that in a sec.
0: And how in the hork Chronicles, Aldrea talks about how, like, usually Andalite females gravitate towards the sciences instead of war because oh. of their small tail blades. So yeah. I'm pretty sure this whole thing is like one big Freudian whatever.
1: That's a great point. I had totally forgotten about the the fact that the female Andalites are all sort of shuttled off into the sciences. Yeah, that's just like some low key sexism.
0: Yeah, the, their their tail blades are their big big penises, and right? their measure of how good you are at like flying a spaceship and shooting people with lasers is how good you are at smacking other people with your big big tail dick.
1: Yeah, God, what an image you've painted for me, Brent.
0: Just slapping them tail dicks together. Yes, exactly. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's a great point, because it, it is it is weird that they do have laser guns. <laughs> like, those are mentioned in this book, but their combat doesn't really seem to be focused on using them. You can make the
0: argument when they board the Skritna ship that they're not shooting the lasers because something, something could penetrate the hull, something, something exposed to vacuum, but they have them set on, like, stun, right?
1: Yeah, there's, like, a whole paragraph that talks about how level one is, like, A momentarily few seconds stun, and level six will definitely kill them. When they
0: pile onto the taxon carrier, instead of just shooting the Hork-Bajir, they like rush into melee
1: with them. Yeah, that's super weird. Because again, you don't you have to shoot like a taxon once and then the other taxon will go crazy eating it. I think maybe the big
0: message we're meant to take away from the portrayal of Andalites in all these books is that they're not good at war. (laughs)
1: <laughs> they're like real
0: bad at it, I and mean, it's entirely because of their weird hangups, like culturally.
1: Yeah, I think that's a totally fair argument to make because they do have a lot of weird hangups, and that is one of them. They're they're weird old old penis dicks.
0: <laughs> you mean they're weird old penis tails?
1: I meant what I said, Brent. Okay, I yes. meant what I said. They're weird weird old penis dicks. That are also their tales, incidentally. <laughs> oh, uh, This book has a lot of weird hang-up. Like the whole... I really enjoyed the part where they meet the humans for the first time and they're describing them. And it's that sort of ironic sci-fi thing where the Andalites are describing them like aliens, but we know they're just regular humans.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's like a moment where he's talking about like food with uh, mm-hmm. Lauren and he seems real grossed out by the idea of kebabs. But <sighs> we have previously established that Andalites get their protein by surrounding chickens and just gang stomping them to death. So
1: yeah, there's a part later in the book where they're walking through a bunch of taxon gore and ooze and are trying not to step on it. Cause as we have also established it, they don't have a choice.
0: Mm, we are more canon than canon.
1: Yes, it is. It is. They don't have a choice. If they step on something, they're eating it. And they point out that the dome ship has like 17 different species of grass to eat on, which is also weird because there's like like 100 species entirely plants and animals on the home world, the Andalite home world.
0: Yeah, they have like two or three kinds of birds and that's it.
1: Yeah. So the fact that 17% of the species on their home world are different types of grass that they eat, I thought was very funny. (laughs)
0: yeah and, and they can't decide. It seems like whether andalites understand the concept of flavor or they don't.
1: yeah, that was the thing that bounced back and forth in this book. I noticed
0: It seems like maybe they understand it, but it's such a a light difference for them that when they get the full like range of the human tongue, they just mm. lose it because they didn't understand that taste could be this intense.
1: Well, it's probably because the things that they eat are, like, 17 different species of grass.
0: And also one murdered to death chicken.
1: Yes, and then the one chicken that they stomp to death on ritual holidays. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, grass is grass is grass. It's not, It's only going to have so much variety. Of, like, if, if I only ever ate salad greens for the rest of my life, there's some variety there, but, like, not... If I, if, I went a, if I went 20 years only eating salad greens and then I ate a piece of steak, I would probably flip my shit too.
0: I mean, you would do more than flip your shit since after 20 years of eating only salad <laughs> greens, you probably wouldn't have the, the enzymes necessary to digest that steak. It's very true. There definitely would be shit happening, um, flipped or not. <laughs> I bet my guinea pigs have a similar sense of taste to Andalite's.
1: Oh, probably, yeah.
0: Because they have preference among their green vegetables, right? You know, they they wolf down wheatgrass, but even guinea pigs admit that kale's not very good. They usually leave some of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Your guinea pigs have good taste. Yeah, right?
0: (laughs) Fight me, Pacific Northwest. (laughs) Kale's just not a very good green.
1: It isn't. It's just not very good. It's not the worst, but it's not the best. There's a really good slapstick scene in this book. I, no, maybe not slapstick. There's a good extended scene where they're going out into the Dome Ship Park area and Lauren's like, oh, yeah, I've been cramped in that, that spaceship too long and goes to take off her shoes and the <laughs> Andalites flip their shit because they, really <laughs> they think she's peeling off her hoof. Because they don't know what clothing is. Because nobody in the goddamn <laughs> universe but humans wear clothing,
0: which is its own weird thing. You know, at least the Andalites are consistent. Unlike Donald Duck, who obviously understands what clothing <laughs> is, but refuses to wear pants, which I respect. I do not. That's a se- he's a sex pest.
1: <laughs> I guess that's true. He's out in the world not wearing pants, even though he knows he knows what that whole deal is. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird to me. It's just weird to me that the Andalites have no concept of clothes. Because, like, n- no aliens have something similar? Apparently just... not. I guess not. That's super weird to me. I mean, we haven't but really... But I am human, so... Sorry, go ahead. I am human. <laughs> so.
0: I mean, we haven't really run into any aliens in the main series that wear clothes, right? Did the Did
1: the teeny tiny dudes have uniforms? Oh, I don't know. I think I pictured them having uniforms, but that doesn't mean that they did. I have to assume that the concept doesn't exist because the Andalites are so fucking freaked out when they understand that they're wearing like shirts and (laughs) socks. God. I liked it a lot.
0: Yeah, that was boss. Speaking of, and this is jumping back a little, but the... the the small amount of animals on the Andalite homeworld. Like, this is set in, I think, like, the 70s, right?
1: Yeah, it has it has to have been because it's post-Vietnam War.
0: Yeah, and post-Hork-Bajir Chronicles. Yes. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it's set in, like, the 70s. And um, things must have changed in Andalite Military Academy since then because way back when, when Visser Three nay, Aloran, morphed a six wing capot bird because more wings equals faster than. Yes. Axe was like, he has to have been back to the Andalite homeworld to have acquired that. And in this, Elfangor's like, oh yeah, that's a pretty popular morph among cadets looking for a joyride, but you know, we don't morph recreationally. No. So I maybe they just don't do that anymore. Maybe it fell out of fashion like Hacky Sack and bell Ha ha ha
1: I like the idea a lot that there would be fashionable morphs at different times uh, in the Andalite history. But that's a really good point because that it's so close to a plot hole. But I like your explanation better that it's just like that was just like it was the summer of love <laughs> for the Andalites. Everybody was morphin' Caffetbird, but then, you know,
0: everybody grew up. It was the 70s. Everybody was high out of their minds on Caffet Bird.
1: <laughs> High up in the air on some thermals it's
0: before the Endolites CIA started selling Caffet cocaine, crack cavit, <laughs> oh. ca- you know whatever it doesn't matter.
1: Yep, flooding but the neighborhoods. I've
0: taken this way too far.
1: <laughs> Speaking of taking things way too far, let me segue into a theory I have about the Animorphs. Yes, that has sort of been it's sort of been low key at the back of my mind as we've been reading, and it really jumped to the forefront of my mind in this book. Because Lauren talks about her dad, who's a Vietnam vet, who didn't who survived the war physically but not emotionally or mentally. Seems to be having some post-war issues. I think these books are K.A. Applegate writing about the Vietnam War. And I double-checked the math on this. So she, K.A. was born in 19, I think, 56, in mid-50s, which is about the time that the Vietnam War was kicking off. So she would have grown up hearing about the Vietnam War to a certain extent. I think, I think that Animorphs is her sort of struggling with war and what war does to people emotionally and i think that's a, a direct result of her growing up during the vietnam war thoughts
0: uh i'm pretty sure that i've seen a meme on twitter where ka explicitly says that this is about wow. war and how war
1: is bad yeah i mean that's that's pretty uh, that's pretty straightforward like that's what these books are definitely about
0: being a, a an internal struggle with having grown up during the vietnam war is a real interesting take that i like uh but it's also a real depressing take because the mm. The, the style of warfare uh, presented here is just as applicable, if not more so, to Iraq and Afghanistan.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, the... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The guerrilla warfare style, pun unintended, it's really hard to avoid when there's animals about, but...
0: Right, Marco does guerrilla warfare, the rest of them do guerrilla warfare.
1: Yeah, yes. It, it does seem to be just a reoccurring issue, like the fact that they all seem to be suffering from PTSD, like Lauren says that her father is, really seems to suggest that that's a big part of what K.A. is getting at, which is super fascinating.
0: It's a real um, atypical, I think, direction for a young adult series to take, or at least a young adult series of the time, because it's a real heavy thematic content. And it's explicitly showing how the events of the series grinds down the protagonists to shells of people rather than showing them as the chosen ones that overcome and then everything's better.
1: Yeah, which is what I would are you and I think you would probably agree most young adult novels about war are these days. I mean, you you have I guess the Hunger Games are a little bit about they're kind of about both because they're about like the representation of Hero ness and being chosen, but also about how shitty war is. Yeah, I
0: think that as as that trilogy goes on, it becomes less about the protagonist overcoming all obstacles and everything being great, and more about how it, it, the what she has had to do has hollowed her out and made her a shell of a person.
1: Yeah, I more than anything, I would love to see what Ka Applegate's pitch for the Animorph series is because it, I. I think if she went to Scholastic and said, I want to write a young adult series about the Vietnam War, I don't think that would pass.
0: Yeah, there's no way that that was her pitch. I'm sure her pitch (laughs) was teens that turn into animals to fight alien invaders.
1: Yeah, and they date each other and they fly and every cover will have a different animal on it. Please buy this. There's a
0: flip book in the bottom. We'll have... (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, but I think... I think they're about, about the Vietnam War, maybe not explicitly, but I I think consciously or subconsciously, I think that's what K is really writing about. And that's fucking fascinating. Yeah, I I like that.
0: I would love to hear her response to that. But I'm honor bound not to read any interviews with her that take place uh, after the books that we're reading. And so therefore, just cannot look for interviews with her at all until after we're done with the series.
1: Yeah, I know she did a, I think she did a uh, Ask Me Anything on Reddit a few years back, uh-huh. which I, I really want to dig into. But again, cannot have to remain pure and unspoiled.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate because I there are a few other Animorphs podcasts that I know some of our fans listen to and have recommended. I feel like I can't listen to them because we're not done with these. Yeah. we we'll, we don't want to get spoiled.
1: Mm-mm. There's no mixing sodas at this Pizza Hut. Okay, we're staying pure. <laughs> Call suicide inflamed.
0: for a reason, folks. <laughs> uh,
1: what else in this book? There's a lot in this book to dig through. Uh, so,
0: Aloran, it seems like took exactly the wrong lesson from his failure in the hork bashir Chronicles.
1: <laughs> no kidding.
0: Because he makes a big deal out of how you just you wars about winning, not about honor, and you just have to do whatever it takes. And like, bro your genocide super weapon didn't fucking work it didn't make a difference it got released and look how well that turned out so what are you what are you getting at here why do you think that yeah. that's like the lesson you learned
1: that was super fascinating because they have that whole sequence when they're on the taxon ship and they discover the tanks full of yerks uh is swimming in fluid and they don't they don't know if those yerks are civilians or combatants and Aloran's like, it doesn't matter. We're going to pitch him into space. And Alfangor really objects, which I thought was was interesting. Yeah, We don't really get a sense about whether Arbron is on Alfangor or Aloran's side. He sort of plays the middle and, and gets them to delay making a choice on that. But yeah, the fact that Aloran was like, nah, pitch him. Even though they're going to a Texan homeworld where the Texans have voluntarily accepted the position of host we still can't let these yurks get there
0: yeah um i feel like I, my gut says that arbron is on aloran's side because i've mentally pegged him as andalite marco
1: <laughs> yeah i think that's fair
0: um but it's interesting how elfingor is almost like the cassie in the situation because hmm. the animorphs circa hospital takeover plot definitely would have blown them out the airlock yeah the animorphs in mid twenties, uh, as far as book progression goes, I don't think they would. I don't think they would either. Cause they didn't murder that pool at the uh in the David trilogy.
1: Yeah. And they haven't made as full use of the maple ginger oatmeal hack <laughs> as they could have.
0: Yeah, I think they kind of decided to file that one away under uh the Geneva Convention.
1: <laughs> Which they are now more or less following. Ish. Ish. Yeah, that's fair. So I I thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. And Aloran just is just as unlikable here as in the other Mm. book, except when Lauren's talking about uh, how her dad came back from Vietnam, but didn't really come back. Uh, Mm. And he like tells Chapman to shut the fuck up uh, because he doesn't know what he's talking about and sort of consoles her a little. And that's like his one moment of humanity in, in this whole book, pretty much.
1: Yeah, his one moment of a- andalidity. Yeah, andalidity. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a really interesting moment. Cause it 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 belies a greater depth to Aleron's character than we've really gotten to see. And, and the fact that he he doesn't know the war, he doesn't know the situation really that Lauren's talking about, but he knows war. Mm. Conceptually and broadly, and that's his response. I thought that was super fascinating, and the fact that Chapman—that if part of that is why Chapman just read is so sleazy to me.
0: He's just the snottiest little teenage shit.
1: Yeah, just will not shut up. There's one moment that I'm just I'm flashing back on that when they're talking about the taxons. Let's just talk about the taxons. Let's tackle that.
0: Let's talk about the fucking taxons.
1: Yeah, because there we get more tax and background story in this than we have probably in all of the rest of the books combined. Uh, we also get a lot of tax and eating taxon because fucking tax and got to do, I guess.
0: Right, right. It is made explicit that their hunger is so primal. Their drive to consume is so strong that the taxon controllers, those yurks cannot keep their hosts from chowing the fuck down
1: (laughs) which is gross but also in hindsight i'm relieved because it never i never really stopped all the other times that taxons were cannibalizing other taxons and thought wow the Yurks are just letting this happen huh but that that probably should have been on our minds
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it didn't occur to me because taxons are you know gross and they're coded as gross and in yeah. in retrospect if they their whole species has this strong a drive to just eat and cannibalize they never really had a chance of being sympathetic aliens
1: uh except for the mountain taxon yes there's rebel
0: taxons jenna there's rebel taxons <laughs> in the mountains k.a write the taxon chronicles
1: i was i'm so a fucking overjoyed to know that there are rebel taxon that's just so spectacular to me, Brent. Like,
0: of course there are. Of course there are. God, I want to read about them so bad.
1: Oh, me too. Because, like, do... I, I have to assume that they also feel the hunger, that they just have, like, a better control, or they just have, like, a more driving sense of morality. But write the taxon chronicles, K.A. I suspect
0: that the, the mountain taxon rebels have that same hunger and are just as cannibalistic. But... They also think that it's bullshit that the Yurks should be able to ride them around.
1: Oh, I like that. And and I, I support that entirely because it is bullshit. Like
0: all the voluntary taxing controllers are like, sure, yeah, you control me and I get all of these exotic meats. And the rebel taxons are like, wait a minute, you, you want to do what now? Come on. <laughs> We're despicable cannibals, but we don't just go take over planets. That's fucked up.
1: Yeah, I like that even the fucking taxon, who by all accounts are not only extremely alien, but extremely insectal in ways that we are supposed to just hate instinctively. Uh-huh. Even the taxons have variety within their species morality system. That's so good.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's, it's, it's the sort of touch that I've I really grown accustomed to Kay Applegate putting on her aliens that, that show up a lot. Uh, that really just makes them feel more three-dimensional.
1: Yeah. And it and it really is just like one or two lines of dialogue that are just sort of thrown in but but provide such a greater depth for the world building. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of cannibalism and eating and food horror in this book, but that it's almost not worth mentioning comparable to the other food horror in the series. True. So is there anything else you wanted to talk about?
0: Mm, I did want to mention that the Skritna are classic greys, we find out. Because I think we've heard the Skritna <laughs> mentioned before. But they're like. I think so. Yeah, they've got two distinct life stages that we find out in this book. The Skrit, which are like giant cockroachy people. and are Basically,
1: but with like more legs. Yeah,
0: and are almost subsentient. Yeah. At least that's how the Andalites consider them.
1: So who knows how they actually are. Right.
0: And then the Na, who after their maturation, I guess, burst out of their former skrit body, facehugger style, and just are obsessed with collecting aliens and performing experiments, and also their ships are flying saucers, so... Hmm. I'm wondering if the reptilians or the Nordics are going to make a showing.
1: God, I hope so. I mean, were were they around when K.A. was writing these, though? I feel like... I feel like reptilians are more recent, but maybe not.
0: No, all this stuff, I'm pretty sure it goes uh, back to like the 70s.
1: I'm just hoping we see Ingrid Cole, which is a very deep cut Mothman reference.
0: So we have another zero space transmission uh, this week. It's a Twitter DM from at Sly Devil on Twitter. Uh, they ask, Brent and Jenna, if you were an anamorph, what would your book cover morph be?
1: Hmm...
0: I like that this one is a very distinct question from what is what would your favorite morph be or what would you want to be an offlet of?
1: yeah because this is about like the visual mm-hmm. that's a that's a tricky one do It's you, really not do you have oh really uh-huh. okay lay it on me Brent yeah full stop my book cover
0: morph would be a more attractive human
1: Oh fucking Brent that's so funny because you know what mine was gonna be what? Uh, I would want to see me morphing into Brent.
0: Oh <laughs> it would be one continuous morph, the human morphopede.
1: <laughs> it's a it's do you remember when you, like, it, there was that trend for a while with, like, VHS tapes and books where if you got all of them and put them side by side, they'd make a picture? Yeah. Just from the cover art? That's what I'm picturing, is that you put my a- an Animorph-narrated book next to yours, and it's just one continual flow That's of amazing! disgusting, disgusting human morphs. That's
0: amazing. Yeah, I I can't tell you where I live or my last name or what I look like, fans, but rest assured... It is dire. <laughs> oh, I would love to be Brent for two hours at a time. I think you'd change your mind about thirty seconds in.
1: Um, uh, maybe, yeah, yeah. You're not. You might be right. Once I tap into your hive mind, <laughs> and I, I feel <laughs> I'm not a
0: taxon, Shanna. I <laughs> uh,
1: I was suggesting you were a termite, actually.
0: Okay, yeah, not that either. <laughs> Troglodyte, perhaps. Chud. Morlock.
1: I just like the idea that if I'm if I had a cover of me morphing into you the middle morph on that would be what our child would look like and that would save us both a lot of time and energy would it yeah because we we wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't have to have a child we would just have this picture were you planning Uh, on no and now I don't have to because of the magic of Photoshop Brent
0: I'm very uncomfortable (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry no, don't be. This is a good place to end it. Thanks for listening to Transitions from Zero Space. Now back to the show. Well, that'll be it for this week. Thanks for listening to Fandalites. Uh Next week, we'll be reading The Andalite Chronicles Part 2, Aloran's Choice. We'll do the third part the week after that.
1: What do you think his choice is, choices, Brent? Can I get your prediction? Mm. Paper plastic. <laughs> I think it's between Lauren and the rest of the world. This is Allarin's
0: choice, though, not Alfair's choice.
1: Oh, shit, that's right. Fuck, shit, fuck, Brent. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Um... <laughs> <laughs> <Shh>. <laughs> I think, okay, if it's Allarin's choice, I think it's between himself and the rest of the world i think visor 3 will get him in or or, i'm sorry sub visor 7 will get him esplan yeah will get him in a situation where he can free his companions slash maybe all of earth or be a controller and he chooses to wait i don't know we'll just have to read it and talk about it next week we'll fucking find out that's for sure yes
0: so hit us up on Twitter, we're at fandelights, we're Fandalites.tumblr.com. we're fandelights.com. You can email us fandelights at gmail.com. We've gotten a couple of those so far and they're they're very, very good. Uh, we, we love that. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Dust Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. And remember nostalgia is a drug.